Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the next episode in our Pac-Man podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And we're going to talk about another research paper this week. And this one is specifically for the Salish Sea and something that uh, we've been interested in uh, as we've been hearing about this uh, disease becoming more prevalent. Um, and especially because it does seem to affect harbor porpoises a bit more, which we're going to discuss. So mm-hmm. the name of the paper is... Um, so this one is called The Emergence of Mucormycosis in Free-Ranging Marine Mammals of the Pacific Northwest. And this was published on the 7th of July, 2020 in Frontiers in Marine Science. And the lead author is Jessica Huggins. She's one of our uh, colleagues over at Cascadia Research Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bunch of other um, authors on the paper as well. So it was a, a collaborative effort that they did uh, for this one. Yeah. So let's define... Mucormycosis. <laughs> Which is just, let's just say, is a super cool name. It is. It just sounds really cool. So anytime you hear the word myco, that has to do with fungus. Mm-hmm. So mucormycosis is a fungal disease. Um, and it is, uh, the fungi is that causes the disease, um, or the fung, fungi? The fungi? The fungi. The fungi. The fungi. I like, fun- <laughs> I like fungi, personally. <laughs> <laughs> the fungi, the fungies that are in uh, that cause these disease, uh, this disease are in the order Mucoralis. So there's uh, quite a few different species that can cause these uh, issues. Um, and so this was first documented in the Sailor Sea uh, in 2012. There was a poor little harbor porpoise that showed up with it. And um, so this paper basically, in a nutshell, is describing the cases that they found in the different marine mammals that they found it in, uh, in the Sailor Sea here, the inland waters of Washington State in Canada, um, and talking about the fact that it is becoming more prevalent and um, what that means for the, uh, the populations. Um, so I'm not sure where we want to go from there. Um, well, I guess let's just first of all describe what mucormycosis is. Mm. Um, so like Cindy said, this is a disease that's caused by the fungi um, in this order mucoralis. Um, and it is found all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's not like this fungus or these this group of fungi is specific to the Salish Sea. These are found Correct. worldwide. Um, and, and, and they have found it in marine mammals and people and it's there's it, a lot of different species. Right. That they found it in. Um, and typically, they are found in um, decaying organic matter. So mm-hmm. things like leaves, rotting wood, vegetation, um, also animal excrement, so poop. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, like, if you think about kind of soils and what soils may contain, um, it's likely to find some sort of uh, fungal matter in there. And Which makes sense, because fungus, that's where they live. Correct. In, in the soil, and they're decomposers, so they're, they're, that's why they're in the decaying leaf matter because they're actually decomposing it which is a very important part of the ecosystem and recycling of materials yeah absolutely absolutely um and so the main way that you would get these fungal so typically it's the spores that you're going to be 
receiving into your body, not the fungus itself. And the spores are basically the reproductive stuff, basically that sends out the spores that will then become a new fungus down the line. Kind of like egg and sperm, but it's not exactly what they are. Yeah, and it's typically (laughs) transmitted through the air. So they they fly off to a new area, they can seed, and then they can start growing the new fungal matter there. So because of that, if they're in the air, the primary way of you get it is inhaling it. Yeah. Um, So you can sometimes get it directly through your skin contact. Mm -hmm. So if you had a cut on your hand and you happen to get some in your cut, it could enter your bloodstream. But that's fairly uncommon. And Um, the least common is ingestion, is actually eating it. Uh, and I think also too, you might you even if you did ingest it, that's one of the great things about your stomach is, is that it kills a lot of things with the acid that's in there. So right. even if you got some in there, you probably wouldn't survive to be able to in, um, infect you um, on a large scale. Yeah. Um, and before anyone starts getting really freaked out by this, this is um, although it can inf- uh, this fungus can infect humans, it's pretty uncommon. So it's usually only about 8 to 13% of all fungal infections, which if you think about it, there's a lot of fungal infections that humans can get. And so this um, mucoralis species typically only only cause about 8 to 13% of the fungal infections that humans actually contract. So it's not something that human humans have to be super worried about, although they do make a point of saying in this paper that human infections by mucoralis species are also increasing. And so, so there may be a link there. Right, and there and this is it's basically increasing in everything, including human species. Correct. You know, human species. So it seems to be something that is occurring more often um, in more recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this it is what they call an opportunistic pathogen, which basically means if you're healthy, you're you're probably if you got some in you, you'd probably be able to fight it off. Your you know your immune system would be able to kill it. Um, but it's opportunistic in the fact that when, if you're immunocompromised, um, your immune system is down, then it's like, woohoo, let's have a party. And so then those individuals are more susceptible to having an actual infection from this, from this fungus. Mm -hmm. Um, it is very, uh, aggressive. Yeah. Um, So once, if you are, if you are infected, it does take hold. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, then it can be quite dangerous and it spreads fairly quickly yeah and uh, uh, this is a fun word <laughs> it spreads hematogeneously such a great word such a great word but hemo meaning blood so basically it circulates in your blood yeah. um the skin as kat mentioned the skin uh one if it gets if the fungus gets into your skin it's often introduced because you had a sore or a wound or something where the fungus could get in and then just and infect your skin mm-hmm. um but they do find the um the tissue in the tissues that they found in these uh, stranded marine mammals that we're going to be talking about, they found the species, uh, the fungal species, in the brain, lung, spleen, pancreas, kidneys, muscle, lymph nodes, and skin. So they so found a the hyphae. Of different organs. Yeah, and so what they're looking at, what they're actually finding, is the hyphae, and the hyphae are, is actually the body of the fungus. So the spore basically sprouts, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, and the these filaments basically start growing out into the tissues which is so creepy uh and also um, that's another great word hyphae hyphae i love it it's such a cool word yeah fungus are just cool in general they are very cool and <laughs> they're so they're dangerous and they're so important to life on this planet but also can be scary yeah um so they found um 21 cases in the last from 2012 to 2019 yeah so they basically they necropsied so they did effectively a, an animal autopsy so they um, investigated the dead body of the animal for clues as to how it died. And there were 1,801 necropsies performed. 
Um, yeah. And so in, in all of those, only 21 cases of mucor mycosis were found. I say only, but out of a large number of necropsies, they found this in 21 of the, of the cases. So again, this is a very low amount in the grand number of cases there are. However, there were none before this. <laughs> right. So a jump into 21 is actually... Uh, a, a, bit, a big jump. Yeah. 2016, um, the cases peaked, um, and that's also, so up, up until that point, they basically just found it in harbor porpoises. Um, and then that same year when it peaked, it was also documented in the harbor seals and that resident, southern resident killer whale. Yeah. So that was a, an important um, part. So 13 cases were found in Washington, seven were in BC, British Columbia, and one uh, harbor seal was found in Oregon, yeah. northern Oregon. Yeah. Um, they found three different fungal species. So again, like I said, it's the, the order mucoralis, but there's a bunch of different um, types of uh, types of species right. that are causing it. Um, and so out of the 21, you had 15 harbor porpoises, five harbor seals, and one southern resident killer whale. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, too, which I thought was really cool, is that it seemed as though there may be some correlation with season, possibly. So the, they they found that for um, they did have more cases of mucor uh, mycosis in summer months, um, predominantly because of the harbor seal cases. So right. all five of the harbor seal cases were found were were found during the summer. And the interesting part with that is the majority of those were pups. So that's kind of why that is because that's pupping season. Right. Um, so that is probably why that you saw more in the summer months there. Yeah. Whereas, interestingly enough, the highest number of harbor porpoise cases were documented in the winter months. Yes. Which is kind of interesting. So there might, either there's no correlation with season or there is, but it maybe varies with which species you're talking about. Right. And so what's interesting that they talked about with the, um, with the winter uh, is how the fungus may be getting into the water. Mm-hmm. So during the winter season, um, it is uh, rainy <laughs> a lot here, um, and they basically think that in uh, environmental disturbances such like construction, flooding, earthquakes, things like that may actually distribute spores into the water, right? So they're coming from land and being sloshed out into the water. Right. So that may be why the winter seems to be higher, particularly for harbor porpoises, because there's more rain that's washing the stuff out into the uh, right. into the water. Right. Um, and so the mucormycosis was determined to be the primary cause of death. Um, so basically the main cause of death in 76% of the cases that they examined. Um, so that would be 16 of the 21 cases. Um, and those basically were a result of, they said, massive pulmonary infections. So chest infections, basically. Um, Pul- yeah. Pulmonary is lungs. Yeah. Um, second mi- microbial, secondary microbial involvement. So basically it depletes your immune system enough that you become, uh, susceptible to other infections from other, uh, bacteria and fungus, um, toxin production, um, they embolisms had... in the brain. So basically you have a clot in your brain that is caused by the fungus. Is it fungemia with yeah. embolism in the brain? So cool. And then the other one was disruption of the perfusion ventilation coefficient, which I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'm assuming it means... <laughs> Um, ventilation is how much air you're getting in and out. So it maybe has something to do with that, like not being able to breathe as well. Yeah. I would think. That's a, that's I didn't a like Google to, that term. I moment. didn't get to look that one up, unfortunately, <laughs> but it was kind of fun to say. Um, 
And so in, in the remaining cases that mucormycosis was not the primary cause of death, um, they were, mucormycosis was still a major factor in causing the eventual death of the animal. It wasn't the primary cause, but it, it certainly contributed to that animal dying. And they call those generally comorbidities. So mm -hmm. if you if it's not just one with thing that you can factors. right yeah and um, the other cases the primary cause of death was either traumatic injury or infectious disease. So again, if you're fighting some other infectious disease or a big wound, you're more susceptible to getting this kind of fungal um, thing. Yeah. But um, so the common findings that they found that they did not find one common thing that linked everybody together that said, oh well, this is this this is the factor that makes you more susceptible to getting this. Um, they found. A lot that were basically uh, had low nutritional status, right? They 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 were some maybe not emaciated, but not doing well with food, <laughs> getting enough food. Um, parasitism, having parasites, um, lactation, and pregnancy, both again that's going to be taxing on your system for anybody who's been pregnant or, <laughs> or nursing. <laughs> it takes a lot out of you sometimes. Um, and then other infections such as foced the foced herpivirus. Uh, herpes virus for harbor seals and toxoplasma gondii for harbor porpoises. Mm -hmm. um, so, but with that, so a lot of them had one or more of these things going on. But what's really interesting is that there's was one harbor porpoise that was lactating. So, you know, there's that, but otherwise in very good health, but she had one of the most severe infections yeah. that they documented. So although it seems like there are, you know, it, you are potentially more susceptible if you're already in a low state of health. That isn't necessarily exclusive. So you can still get it and obviously get a very bad case of it, even if you're otherwise healthy. Right. So a little more concerning than perhaps they were hoping for in some ways. In some ways, it's at least if you know it's it's only you know really an issue for suboptimally healthy animals, right. then that's one thing. But if it really could affect any animal, that's a much larger issue. Right. And the, uh, they discussed, you know, like, basically, is this a real thing that's, that's becoming more of a problem, or did we just miss it before? Um, and the thing is that uh, the harbor porpoise and harbor seal populations here in the Salish Sea um, have been pretty well documented, at least in terms of strandings yeah. and whatnot. They've looked physiologically. at those physiologically, right? Maybe not behaviorally, uh, but they have been monitored through the stranding networks, and necropsies are done a lot, obviously a thousand in the last, you know, seven or eight years. Um, so they, they don't think that there, there's something that's happened that they're more susceptible now than they were previous to 2012. Yeah. And the um, other thing too, is that in terms of the potentiality for missing it in necropsies, I guess the, the way that mucormycosis actually appears when you test for it is very, very obvious. So it's, it's something where like, oh, it's, it's, you know, maybe we just missed it because it looked like something else. I guess this does actually it. have a very specific appearance. So it's unlikely that if they did a necropsy and this was present, they would have missed it. Right. And they did note that, um, harbor porpoises have been, uh, more of a focus in, with the strandings and getting necropsies done. Um, harbor seals have a, a little bit less focus simply because there are so many of them. <laughs> Um, and low funding, so it's possible that they may have missed some of the those in harbor seals, but they're right. pretty confident that they did not miss um, them in harbor porpoises. Yeah. So basically, what that means is that prior to 2012, it's unlikely that mucormycosis was really an issue for these mm -hmm. animals. And now, which is kind of interesting. Again, now a 21 jump in cases in the yeah. last few years. Um, and what's really interesting is um, that they have there's no cases on the coast. Right, on so the, the outer coast. coast. Right, yeah. so that's only in the Salish Sea. Um, and uh, they 
they also looked at um, water samples from mm -hmm. inside and outside. Uh, and so they did find in 1.8% of samples, they found this in the, um, in the water in the Salish Sea. But from the coast, they have found none. So it really does look like it's not there, and it is here, which is really interesting as right. to why. So basically the inland waters is where you're seeing this, not on the outer coast. Right. So again, because we're talking about this in terms of, you know, you find the um, the fungi in, in organic matter, right? So potentially runoff would be an issue, but, you know, you'd think on the outer coast, you do have a lot more water movement than you mm -hmm. do on the inland waters. So it's possible that just because of that, um, you're not getting those big outer coast um, oceanic movements as much in here. Right. It's possible that it has more of a chance to actually reproduce and spread potentially. And so they did find, um, talking about where they find this in the samples, the they look at the sea surface microlayer. So there's like this little tiny thin layer above the water um, where there's this water and air kind of mixture. Um, and they that's where you find... Um, some of these spores and so they hypothesize that the breathing patterns where you, especially for cetaceans where you're going to come up and go breathe a couple times and then dive down deep so you're like <gasps> and then you go down um, those several quick breaths followed by a deep breath for diving and the anatomy because and we talked about anatomy on our last mm -hmm. podcast episode um, but the direct link from the blowhole to the lungs right so it's a straight shot down um, of the cetaceans may allow small amounts of that um, the, the sea surface microlayer to be aspirated deep into the lung tissue. So you're taking in those spores deep into there, which then they can take hold. Yeah. Um, and harbor seals may also aspirate um, some of that, uh, but are more frequently exposed to the fungi while hauled out on land. So yeah. that may also be another reason. Like, So maybe it is more in the water than it is on land if porpoises are having more of an issue with it than the seals are. Right, at least in spore form where Correct. they could where they could pick it up. And so that one of the, the reasons that they were looking at the difference between the coast and the inland waters was, you know, okay, once we've determined that we see instances of this inland and not on the coast, well, what's the difference? What's what's different between those two locations? Right. So like we said, current could have something to do with it, just the, the movement of water itself. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting that they also mentioned was um, just the increase in population along the coastline. So the, the, the inland water coastline we're mm. talking about now. Not to be confusing, but, um, you know, so in the Salish in, Sea, in the Salish sea right. so, you know, within that kind of more contained area, there have been a huge boom in city growth and town growth, construction along the coastlines, people wanting um, beach houses. And like we mentioned before, this kind of soil disruption might be one of the ways in which this is actually getting into the water system and, and churning those things up out of the ground. And then, like Cindy mentioned, with the rain, with the runoff, um, that soil is exposed to the, to the elements. It can be washed straight off into the water. So it's possible that this could potentially be a factor um, that is contributing to the increase in cases that we're seeing, possibly. And remember, with runoff, too, the more concrete you have, the faster and easier that runoff gets to the waterways. Yes, absolutely. So it, it kind of confounding factor because you're doing construction and you're probably putting concrete or other pavement down. Yeah. Um, so that really does, does um, affect it. So basically, they, they don't know why this is occurring. You know, we have these hypotheses, and, and they do kind of make some sense. But, you know, they, they highlighted that more research is needed to evaluate, you know, the roles and interplay of conditions that may be causing this. So yeah. con chemical contaminants, metal trace element accumulations, infectious disease, parasitism, pregnancy, and malnutrition. How do those go along with when you get this fungal infection? Um, so, you know, why do the animals get it? And then how are they getting it by all these different variations in the environment that we think may be uh, 
uh, playing into uh, how they get infected. Yeah, and I mean, again, I mean, one of the most interesting but also concerning things about this paper is the fact that they've seen this consistent increase in cases over the last sort of 10-ish years, um, and they weren't seeing it before. So, I mean, that's really the biggest concern is something's obviously changed here that is causing these animals to, to now become infected with this... With this um, Fungus. And primary fungal diseases, the things that cause the death of a marine mammal, is rare. Like right. this doesn't, this is not something that's typical right. in marine mammal species. Yeah. Um, and so, th as we kind of said, lung infection is the most common and likely inhalation, um, except for the one exception is the southern resident killer whale. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting one because it had, uh, is a 20 year old male. Um, he had an infection um, at the satellite tag location. So they tagged him to be able to understand more about his movements and stuff. And um, it brought up a lot of debate about the usefulness and the risks of tagging. Um, you can get a lot of great information from them, but you are physically puncturing the animal, in, usually in the dorsal fin, um, and that opens up a wound that oftentimes heals Generally, marine mammals have a very good healing capabilities. Right. And bear in mind, this is a specific type of tag. Not all right. tags actually break the skin. True. But this particular type of tag was that yeah. style. There's some that can like suction cup on and then other ones yeah. that actually pierce through the skin. So this one actually pierced through the skin and that's where the infection occurred. So I guess and it just entered. didn't heal enough and it got in and it died. Uh, the animal died. And this is particularly difficult for i mean all of you who are here know about the southern resident killer whales know why this is a big deal but for anybody else they are an endangered population um they're not they're not having a lot of babies animals are dying and they are getting close to the point where they may not be able to sustain uh long term yeah and population. i mean one of the biggest things in everything we've already said about mucormycosis and who the potentially susceptible more individuals are that may get it the southern residents are all of those things. So they are, unfortunately, they are struggling due to lack of food. Um, they predominantly eat salmon, and the salmon runs have not been very good in the last probably about 10 years or 15 years. So they're struggling with lack of food. That means that they're metabolizing their fat stores. Um, unfortunately, their fat stores have stored up a lot of toxins from the environment and from their food. So they're now metabolizing toxins, which is affecting their immune system. So they are more susceptible. Their immune system is also suppressed right now. As Cindy mentioned, a lot of the... Um, reproductive capabilities have been drastically affected by that. So basically they're a really susceptible population to this type of fungal infection if it were to become an issue for them. Yeah, so back to that, you know, the conditions, chemical contaminants, check. Uh, malnutrition, check. <laughs> Possible infectious disease on the side, check. Pregnancy and, and lactation pulling it, like all of those things are happening with the southern resident killer whales. Yeah. So they really have a, a bit tougher time at the moment um, yeah. with this. But was what, one thing that was interesting is that they they found, you know, uh, pregnant and lactating females that um, had the disease, but none of the fetuses did. Right. So that was one good thing. Then if you're an, a female and you are healthy enough that you can fight it off, it's not going to seemingly affect the fetus or yeah. infect it. So, but. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that is the thing, though, like, again, taking it back to the susceptible population. So it's really concerning with the southern residents, right? We did have one individual who died. But as they note in the paper, the population or the species that seemed to be most vulnerable to this is actually harbor porpoises. Right. So they were the vast majority of the animals that they actually found with mucormycosis. Um, and obviously, as our main study animal... We're not too happy about that. No. That's a little concerning. <laughs> and the interesting part, I remember when we heard about this a few years ago at one of the conferences, is that you, they don't look sick. 
Right. You yeah. Know? So it's like, oh, okay, it seems really helpful, healthy. And then you look histologically and you look at the gross findings and you see these large growths, growths and, and things. Yeah. Um, so it can be very deceptive. Yeah. In, in that, so they're, they're actually looking more at, like, they want to see all harbor corpuses, not just ones that they're like, oh, we should look in to see why that one died. They, they want to see everybody because yeah. you just can't see this one coming. Basically. Right. Right, and it's just really interesting. Again, I mean, the harbor porpoise population in this area, as far as we know, and as we know very little, um, we do know that they have um, recolonized this area mm -hmm. and, um, you know, visually seem to be doing fairly well. So it's kind of interesting that they specifically seem to be more vulnerable to this type of infection. Um, and why that might be is still to be found out, but pretty interesting um, and something to definitely keep an eye on in the future in terms of, you know, possibly having more harbor porpoises coming up with this type of infection. Right, and remember that harbor porpoises, harbor seals, killer whales are all sentinel species, so they, mm -hmm. they can tell us how the ecosystem is doing. So this may be, you know, a kind of a flag being like, well, something's going on here, um, so we should really keep track of it and be able to stop it getting worse. Right, and again, <laughs> especially, forward. you know, there are risks to humans too, as you mentioned. Right. It's not a big risk, but it is... A risk and so if you are finding this in the environment if you're finding this in multiple different animal species that is immediately a concern because right. obviously it's able to infect different species um, you kind of want to keep an eye on that just in general to make sure it's not going to affect other parts of your ecosystem including ours right and so this is kind of a, a, a good time in doing this particular podcast in the middle of a pandemic because yeah. <laughs> we're living that right now right of how that can possibly uh, you know, jump a species, and in this case, sure, you don't have yeah, to jump a point. species, but, you know, like, how quickly something can get out of hand if we don't know about it ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and what we can do to stop it. So, yeah. uh, it is very interesting. And so, actually, I was just thinking, right before we sign off, the fact that it, you, ingesting it doesn't really, um, you know, cause infections, mm -hmm. which is good for the transient or Biggs killer whales, because if they're eating the harbor porpoises that are infected, they likely won't get infected themselves. That so is true. That's a good point. Right. Sure. We'll, <laughs> except, we'll, take, we'll take it. We'll end on a good point. Except sure. that the harbor porpoises are being eaten, which we don't like. <laughs> but, you know, we like the, the big killer whales as well, too, that everybody's got to live. So it's a good balance. Um, so that's uh, it for that one. I, th I was really, I was waiting to, to for this paper to come out because we've been hearing about it for the last couple of years. So yeah. I was really excited when they um, had the paper released. Yeah. So and we could learn more about what's going on. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. I will say like, if you do want to look that paper up, it's really well written. It's mm -hmm. really accessible. Even if you don't know anything about fungi or, um, you know, any sort of like pathological uh, information, if you don't have that, it really doesn't matter. You can yeah. still very much understand what they're saying in this paper. It's just super well written. And uh, thank you to the authors for writing this paper. Because yeah. I think it was really it's highlighting a lot of things that should be concerning and we should be looking into more. Right. And hopefully we'll get more people interested. And yeah. Say, like, we need, to, we need to watch this stuff. Yeah. Because we can't prevent something if we don't know that it's there. Exactly. So, all right. Well, that's it for this episode. And um, like I said, if you have a paper or a topic that you want us to discuss, please uh, either catch us on social media or you can email us um, from our, you can go to the website and find our emails. Yep. And uh, we'd love to talk about it because we just like talking about marine mammals. Yeah. Yeah. We'll happily nerd out with you. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next time. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, -A -M, to learn more about us, 
our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.